What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just entered my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, it's all about handhelds. So let's talk about them and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, this past week we had an announcement of a brand new handheld console coming to the market from Valve, and that is the Steam Deck. Now, just before that was announced, we also had the official confirmation of what was rumored to be the 4K Switch Pro console, which we now officially know as the Switch OLED or OLED console. Now, I got to tell you a little backstory as far as handheld gaming and me. Ever since the original black and white Game Boy, way back in the day, I have been a fan of handheld gaming. I had the original Game Boy, as just stated. I had the Game Boy Advance SP. I had the Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS, DS Lite, 3DS in the household, as well as the PlayStation Portable and PlayStation Vita. So portable gaming has always been something I've been interested in. Unfortunately, as time has gone on, I have had less time for portability as far as the even opportunity to play games in a portable method because I don't travel as much as I used to. I'm not as in the car as a passenger just idly driving around or riding around as I used to be. So I'm obviously most of my time at home is console gaming if I am gaming. Now don't get me wrong, there are those nights where minutes before bed or maybe you get an hour or so before you have to turn the lights out and yeah i'll pop in and uh turn on the vita or back in the day the ds light whatever the console may be but the bottom line is it is still something i'm very much interested in and i'll start with the switch line of consoles here when the switch first released a few years ago i was definitely interested but never on the level of i gotta have it i've got to have that system even though Franchises like Zelda and Mario have been some of my favorites from going all the way back in my gaming career from when I was a young kid. So it just, I don't know, the, the portability of it was not as attractive to me as it was to millions and millions of people. And yes, I understand you can dock it at home and play on your TV as well, which is awesome. But I just knew at the time I didn't have the time to share between three consoles that made sense for me to have three consoles. And I realized that in the generation before where I had a 360, a Wii, and a PS3, and 90% of my gaming was done on the 360, really, and the other 8% would have been the PS3, and then a very minuscule 2% on that Wii. So I just made the decision not to get the Switch. Well, as time has gone on, and I've enjoyed my Vita as much as I've had it here recently in the last few years, and let me tell you, I am ready for the Switch. I am very ready. In this past year or two, as long as these rumors have been going on about the Switch 4K model, I, I just kept saying from day one, look, when this thing is officially announced, the next iteration of the Switch, I'm definitely getting it. Hands down, I'm going to pre-order it. I'm going to make sure I can get one. I definitely want to be back in the realm of the Nintendo franchises that I grew up on and loved. So here we are. 
And just recently, as I stated, we had the Switch OLED officially confirmed. And just to go over a few of the specs with you guys and just the differences, if you didn't already know what they were, in case you were wondering, or maybe you have a Switch and you were thinking about upgrading to the OLED, or maybe you don't even have one like me and you were thinking, you know what, now is the time. So I'll start out with the color options of the console. Basically, you have two, and there is the classic neon red and blue Joy-Cons, which if you don't know what Joy-Cons are, they are essentially the analog sticks, D-pads, and face buttons that you slide onto the side of the actual tablet, the screen portion of the portable aspect of the Switch. Now, these Joy-Cons, the red and blue neon colors have been around since the original Switch model. So they come with a black dock, and the new color iteration or design for this version of the Switch is a black and white Joy-Con color combo with a white dock. Now, me personally, when it comes to getting a new console or a new iteration of a new console, I want to go with what the newest thing is. And I got to tell you, that black and white combo looks pretty sexy. I'm not going to lie to you. It very much <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if Nintendo did this intentionally, but it very much reminds me of the PS5 color scheme with that black and white, the way it kind of offsets perfectly with each other. And uh, it would not surprise me if they did it intentionally to kind of color code and match Sony's PlayStation 5 color scheme. But outside of a new port for LAN connection and some rounded edges, the dock is really unchanged outside of that color. Let me just say out the gate that this switch is not 4K. It is not. Now, I will say that the 7-inch OLED screen it is just a bit bigger than the current screen that we have on the regular Switch, not the Switch Lite, which is the portable-only version of the Switch. But the normal Switch that you can dock, it's just a bit bigger than that screen at 7 inches here. It does have an adjustable base stand, enhanced audio over that previous version, as well as 65 gig of internal storage, which is pretty awesome. The battery life is quoted as 4.5 to 9 hours, so it should be pretty good for most any trip that you're going on. And the TV output, when you're hooked up in the TV mode and it's on the dock, is going to be 1080p via an HDMI cable hookup. And the CPU GPU is an NVIDIA custom Tegra processor. Now, this console, if you're wondering, say if you do already have a Switch and mini games on the console, if you wanted to still upgrade, it is compatible with all those games. It works with the old dock as well, but you'll likely need to update that dock once this console releases. It's compatible with all previous Joy-Cons. So let me just say that as far as my overall thoughts on the Switch OLED, is it disappointing that it's not officially 4K? Yes. I would have loved to have that 4K version of Zelda Breath of the Wild right in front of me as I'm traveling through the state of Florida with my family here in a few months. But it's okay. It's still an upgraded OLED screen where the images and the colors are still going to be sharper. They're still going to look brighter. It's still going to be a beautiful picture coming up on that 7-inch OLED screen. So I'm okay with it. Now, I will say, for somebody who's never had a Switch, I think, and from what I've read online, people agree with this, it's kind of a no-brainer to get this model of the Switch if you have yet to purchase any version. Now, if you already have a Switch, it's still a good upgrade, but is it really worth the $350 that it costs? If you've already paid the $300 that it costs for that original Switch... Now, at that point, from what I'm understanding, I would say probably not because it's, again, just a bit bigger screen. And for some sharper colors and images in a LAN port, 
I don't really think that that's worth $350, but again, if you have the money and it's no big deal, then why not, right? Now, I will tell you, I am very happy to say and announce here that I was successful in getting and securing a pre-order of the black and white Switch OLED. Now, it did take a few days and some consistency on my part uh, of attempts at trying to find somewhere, anywhere that was pre-ordering them uh, that it finally became available. And let me just tell you guys that if you're looking to pre-order consoles twice now, Walmart has really been there for me. They were who I was able to be successful in getting a PS5 pre-order through when the console first went live with pre-orders. And I also was successful here with a Switch OLED pre-order with them. Now, again, it was a couple of days after pre-orders officially went live, and I tried multiple websites every day, all throughout the day, periodically. GameStop, Best Buy, Target, Amazon. Nobody ever had them. They were all either sold out or unavailable. And finally, that beautiful moment, and it's such a good feeling. I'm sure there's many listeners out there who have had this experience before. That beautiful feeling when it finally allows you to add to cart. And again, there's still that kind of hold your breath moment or moments until you can finalize the transaction and it'll say purchase complete or the confirmation order number. And oh man, I am just super stoked and cannot wait to get my hands on it. Because honestly, Skyward Sword HD just released this past week and I am so jonesing to play it. Again, I'm a huge Zelda fan. I never got a chance to play Zelda Skyward Sword. I had already gotten rid of my Wii at the time. I was not interested in the Wii U, so I did not play it. It has my preferred version of Link, the more adult, realistic-looking Link. And, of course, the classic green tunic, which I prefer over the blue tunic in Breath of the Wild. Now, I'm not saying I won't play Breath of the Wild when I have a Switch, but I'm definitely very much looking forward to going to that one that got away in Skyward Sword HD even though it's still about two months away before I get my Switch. Metroid Dread, though, day and date with the Switch, October 8th. Can't wait. So if you're looking to pre-order a Switch, just keep at it, is the bottom line here, moral of the story. And with a lot of patience and perseverance, I'm sure you guys will be very successful in your pursuits of the console. Now, the other console, again, that I mentioned was the Steam Deck. And... You know, it's done by Valve, which is mostly known for pretty much either its tech or its games. Uh, obviously, they've done Half-Life and uh, done so many things in that series over the years, as well as the Portal series. But you know what? They surprised everybody this past week with showing off the Steam Deck. And it wasn't just an announcement. It was also, hey, this is coming out in December. Here's the price. Here's the different models we have. It's going live for pre-order in a couple of days, as well as... Here's what you can do on it. And I got to tell you guys, I am extremely impressed with what you can do on this handheld. Now, let me just kind of run through some specs for you. It is essentially a handheld gaming PC. There are three different models that you can choose from. They all have the same processor, an AMD APU processor. And here's the main differences with dollar signs and everything. So you got your basic model for 400 bucks. You get a 64 gig SSD. Let me just make sure to put that out there. SSD, which is pretty awesome. The next model up is 530 bucks for a 256 gig SSD or the high end model which is 650 bucks for a 512 gig SSD with an anti glare etched glass screen. So that's pretty crazy. Uh that's 
think about it, more expensive than a PS5 or a Series X. Uh, $650. Bucks. But I'll reiterate, this is a handheld PC, guys. And I'll get into the details of that here in a second. I will say all models also have a micro SD slot for expandable storage. So if for some reason, 512 gig, if you get that model of SSD space is not enough for you. Whew. Uh, it, it just really depends, I guess, because honestly, truthfully, uh, these games nowadays are pretty big files. So you probably will need to have some expandable storage. But the bottom line is they all have that option for you with a micro SD slot. Now, we'll just put this out there real quick. If you haven't seen the design of it, it's very much reminiscent to me of Sega's Game Gear handheld portable system back in the day. Now, if you don't remember that, it was kind of a rectangular block or brick that was black. And that's pretty much what this Steam Deck is. Now, it's not a knock on the Steam Deck or the Game Gear. It's just it's when I look at it at first glance, it's like, oh, man, that, that very much looks like a Game Gear to me. But... Kind of go over the design of the console. It's face buttons and D-pads. They're immediately to the right and left of their respective thumbsticks, which to me I found kind of odd as far as a placement for these options, but it is done to allow for the touchpads, which are right below these analog sticks. And the touchpads are essentially acting as your mouse uh, in one way or another on this console because guess what? You can actually use this console as a PC, as a desktop. You can hook it up to the desktop and use all functionalities of a desktop computer from your Steam Deck. Now on the back side, you do have four rear buttons, a welcome standard feature for anyone who's grown accustomed to using those pro-style controllers like the Xbox Elite controller. And it is honestly almost essential if you're going to play games that are designed with a keyboard and mind first. Now these, like the rest of the buttons, they can be fully customized in whatever form that you like, thanks to Steam Input, which is Valve's system for making useful custom key bindings available for just about every controller layout. Now, underneath those thumbsticks, again, like I said, there are two different features. You have two precision trackpads, or the official name of these touchpads. And those are going to give you access, like I said, to mouse-like controls for games that, you know, typically they don't play well with controllers. They're much better with a mouse and keypad. So that's really what they're ultimately for. Now, Pierre-Lou Griffins is one of the designers here at Valve, and he's basically telling you that in-game, you can actually map these buttons to areas of the screen for the mouse cursor to jump there. And be kind of a one-to-one -one region type input as he explains it. And this would be useful for something, say, quickly moving around a mini-map in a real-time strategy game, like an RTS. Uh, you can also, he goes on to say, quote-unquote, you can create on-screen menus that pop up on top of the game and have many customizable macro buttons or keyboard keys. And you can just use it for mouse input where it's really powerful and reliable for the people that are comfortable with that sort of input. Now, both the thumbsticks and the trackpads, they are capacitive, which that means they can tell whether you're, where your finger is touching them. And this can be combined with the Steam Deck's internal gyro sensor. Yep, it's got that too. For a more fine-tuned form of aim control than just with a thumbstick or the trackpad in and of themselves. Now, this, just like the OLED Switch, it's got a 7-inch screen, but it's also touchpad-enabled. And that's, honestly, it's kind of nice uh, for both games that support local touch controls and other ones that can be played primarily by pointing and clicking. Now, I also think that it's a good option for when you're just going through the operating system. 
Uh, it's kind of like just using it as a regular tablet, you know, swiping left, right, up, down, whichever direction you're going in. And it does seem to be, as I've read online, a, an improved version of the Steam big picture mode interface that those of you, those Steam users out there, you would already be familiar with. Now, as I said, it can be used as a desktop. So when you go into desktop mode, it's designed for portable gaming, this console, first and foremost. But it is, again, fully functional as a desktop PC. So you can use a dock or a hub that expands its single USB-C port. Uh, you can connect it to a monitor, a mouse, and a keyboard, the Ethernet cable, whatever you other peripherals that you would normally use on a PC, you can fit it in here. Now, Valve is developing an official docking station that's going to be sold separately, but any standard USB-C hub is going to work just as well as that docking station. And the Steam Deck also has Bluetooth, so any peripherals that are Bluetooth compatible, you can use that connection option here as well. Uh, and a couple thoughts just overall. I'm very impressed with the specs, most of the design, uh, and believe it or not, the price, considering what you're getting here. I mean, you're essentially, guys, getting a portable PC, which is pretty insane. So I think for the bang for your buck is, is very respectable that Valve was able to come into that price, even though when you think about it, and as I said, you know, wow, 650 bucks at a portable system, but it's, it's not a typical DS or Game Gear, Game Boy. It's not those typical systems anymore. This is a flat-out PC. It can run AAA games, which is pretty insane. They were showing off Death Stranding and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Those kinds of games run smoothly right off this console. So that's pretty awesome. I think it's great. And I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on this. But I'll be honest with you, for now, I don't have plans to get it. And I feel like I'm going to be extremely satisfied with my Switch OLED come October. That'll do it for my catch of the week. Now let's open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers this past week, honestly, there is only one game that is in my gaming log here, and that is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. If you've listened to me recently, you will know that I have stated that I am at that point now with Valhalla where it is in the end game. As far as crunch time for me and trying to complete this masterpiece of a game before the onslaught of other games and let's be honest the switch oled a new console for me is coming out here in the next couple months so i've really got to buckle down and focus on this game and not kind of dib and dab around other little side piece or side quest games as we like to call them. me and logan phoenix over at graveyard gamer podcast check him out cool dude you'll definitely appreciate the show and enjoy it i promise you but Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This past week, I was able to play another eight hours since the last recording, and I've cracked 140 hours total into the game now. And I got to tell you, it just it baffles me. I say it all the time, I feel like, but in all honesty, I am still just absolutely loving this game 140 hours in. It just it gets me every time I really sit there and think, and like, man, perspective. 140 hours, and I'm still finding love in this game. And in the story, the characters, the same combat and different things that I've been doing for that time, I'm still loving it. So this past week, it was all about exploring and defogging all of the region of Kent. Last week, I told you guys that I had just reached that area and started exploring its beautiful coastlines and different greens and blues and purples and the flowers and the foliage that were all around the different areas. And it was no different this week. I continued that amazing adventuring quest in that region. It's one of my favorites at this point in the entire game. Beautiful, beautiful area to explore. 
Uh, there was also some great architecture in this area that I just, for whatever reason, fell in love with as well. There were some abbeys and monasteries that you can explore. And just the layout of the grounds of some of those areas with the chapels and different uh, crypts and underground secrets and different ways you gain access to the wealth and armor that are hidden throughout the different buildings of those areas. I loved the way they were laid out. And I got to be honest with you, my favorite location in this whole area, outside of a specific cave that I will talk at in my highlight of the week, but I got to be honest, my favorite area in this whole region of Kent was one that I came to most recently. And it's essentially a seaside cave, not a deep one, but it was one that was right there on the coastline and the ocean kind of goes right up to the edge of the cave. And it's kind of almost think of it as a C shape. And it was just the layout of this cave. There are enemies within this area and the placement of the enemies, the layout of the cave and the design of it and different things that you could do to take out these guards without being seen while you explored and found secrets and got the wealth that you were there in the first place to get. It was a lot of fun and I just really, really enjoyed it. And visually, it was really fun to go through as well. Now, after I did everything in Kent, you know, I completed the story arc, uh, another amazing story arc, to be honest with you. And I've pretty much, I could say confidently that every story arc, except maybe one, I have completed in this game that I was just like, wow, that was awesome. And this was no different in Kent. So when I finished the main story arc, I only had 10 wealth that were left in the region to find and to go after. I had already collected all artifacts, already done all world events. So I went through and I did that. I got the rest of the wealth in the area, which is mostly armor pieces and different ingots and whatnot. Well, when I was done with all that, the entire region checked off. I went back to my settlement of Ravensthorpe. I did purchase a few more areas or locations within the settlement, which now upgraded me to a village. Ravensthorpe is officially now considered a village based on the amount of people that live there and the amount of different opportunities for people to work and things that are available within it. Officially a village. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now I will say one thing I've enjoyed doing in this game is after a certain portion of time, I do kind of like to change up the look of my Eivor, whether it's hair and beard style or tattoo sets or the armor. And at this moment, it was the armor that really stood out to me. And I had found all the final pieces that I needed of a Magister set of armor. And, you know, if you played the game, you'll know that there's different types of armor. There's the Raven Clan, there's Bear, there's Wolf. And they all have different stat buffs and different specifics to them as to why you would choose one over the other outside of just aesthetics. I try to stick with Raven Clan as best I can. It's more of my play style as far as stealth and things of that nature. So bottom line is the Magister is a new armor set in the Raven Clan line. And I have a ton of nickel ingots because I'd say almost 50 of them. Because everything I have right now, I've been rolling with the Raven Clan basic armor from the beginning that I had upgraded as far as I could to a flawless on every piece of armor. I can't upgrade it to the final max, which is mythical. Until I can find some gold tungsten ingots, which I have not yet traveled to the region that has those ingots. So I was very excited to try out some new armor and see what it looked like. So I chose the Magister set. And one reason is because it has an uh, A-looking design on it that is very reminiscent of that Assassin Brotherhood symbol. So I thought it looked really cool. The armor set was great. I upgraded it all to Flawless. And I am now wearing the Magister set. 
which I'm definitely digging it. Now, I can't wait to start getting those tungsten ingots because I really want to get to the mythical status on all my armor and the weapons that I've been using because those are also right now and have been for a while at flawless level. Now, I just got to tell you, as far as the story is concerned, I am so absorbed into it right now. There's just some of the events that happened at the end of this story arc. Oh, man, it was just an awesome way to continue progressing the story in this game. And if you're a big Assassin's Creed fan and you've kind of followed the lore, even at somewhat of a distance over the years, it's still a lot that's going on in this game to get you excited for. And I cannot wait to see what more secrets and surprises are awaiting me in the last portion of this game. Now, I will say that I also was able to, in Kent, obtain the herbs that I needed to go back to the Seer in Ravensthorpe for her to create a potion and allow me to travel back to Asgard, or in this case, to Jotunheim. So I had already finished Asgard as far as the storyline's concerned many, many months ago. Finally, now I've obtained the herbs. I went back to the Seer and I decided, you know what? I have the option of either going to Jotunheim, Vinland, or Essex, Suffolk, any of these areas. But you know what? I think now, based on what happened within the story, I feel like it's a good time to kind of break away from England and let's go a little bit more fantastical. I want to go back to Jotunheim and Asgard and see what's going on there. So I did go back or go to Jotunheim. And I'll just say I maybe spent a half hour or so before I stopped playing in my last play session exploring Jotunheim there at the very beginning of the map. And I, I've so far thoroughly enjoyed it. I've liked the design of the layout of the map and the way it looks. It's a very snowy, icy region, obviously. And Definitely enjoyed some of the interesting things I've encountered in that brief time that I've spent there so far. So I cannot wait to jump back into the game, hopefully later today after this recording, and cannot wait to convey to you on the next episode of Captain's Quarters what my progress has been in it. So, as I stated earlier, there is a specific location that is my highlight of the week, which is coming from Valhalla. So we will now see what that is. Gamers, my highlight of the week this week obviously is coming from Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and it is a very specific location, one that is known as the Cave of Trials. And if you thought I was going to say Cave of Wonders, I'm sorry, Aladdin fans out there, that is not where this game takes place. The Cave of Trials. I absolutely loved this location in the game here. And again, if you haven't been there yet, it is in the region of Kent, so just know that when you get to Kent, you'll be able to beautifully explore this area. Now, I'm a glutton for, as I've stated before, exploring caves and just the, for whatever reason, the echoness of it, the dankness, the fact I can pull out a torch and explore in the darkness and there's cobwebs and whatever. I don't know. I, I, I think it's really going back to my love for Indiana Jones. But so that right there is already there for me to be, oh man, I'm really absorbed into this. But it wasn't just a typical kind of walk in off the you know, greenery of the forest and into a small little cave that goes only so far. Now, nah, this is a very in-depth puzzle in and of itself cave. And what I mean by that is the layout of it. It was also not just wide and deep, but it was also the fact that it was a vertical depth to it as well. And I love that. And the whole premise of this cave 
there are, it was something new for me at this point in the game. And basically there are different gates that you have to get through and they are locked. So you need the key and the keys are essentially for the most part hanging in the air in different locations of this cave. And there are different ways to gain access to different rooms and caverns and you kind of have to find your way around. It can kind of sort of be a maze at some points if you're not really keeping your bearings with you. You have to figure out essentially once you find where the key is, how to get to it. And then once you can figure that out, essentially you have to jump through the air and tap Y on the Xbox uh, quick enough to grab it midair. And even though it may sound like, okay, well, that's not, but it was just something cool about it. It was unexpected. And I think that's one reason why I enjoyed it so much, but I thoroughly enjoyed figuring out how to get to the keys. Where are the keys? How can I climb up here to then jump from there to then jump and get the key? It was just a lot of fun. There were some cool statue designs carved into the rocks. And then the ultimate payoff, obviously there was some armor that you can come across in here as well. The ultimate payoff was a certain stone, which I'm not going to go into full detail, but let's just say a very popular sword and England lore. This is the first step towards that sword. So for me, just hitting on all cylinders here, all the things that I love and adventure and uh, puzzle and the experience, it was just absolutely my favorite of this past week. So now let's open up my buried treasure chest and see what kind of gaming tips I can find for you in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Gamers, this week is just a couple of general tips for you that I have in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. If you haven't already realized it or gotten to it yet, I just want to say there is one ability that I would highly recommend once you're able to acquiring, and that is the Brush with Death skill. And the reason I highly recommend this is it is so useful especially when it comes to boss fights. Now, what does Brush With Death do, you probably are asking? Well, essentially what it is, is if you can time your dodge maneuver at exactly the right time, just before you're hit with an enemy's attack, it will slow down time. And that gives you an advantage because obviously you can zip around and get in a couple of extra hits. You can obviously dodge the attack, but then it gives you an opportunity to get a couple extra hits in on, like I said, a boss or even just a, a basic enemy. So it's a very invaluable ability or skill, in my opinion, and one I would highly recommend seeking out. It is in the bear uh, order of abilities, which is the red one. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Now, the other thing that I wanted to throw out there that I've fully embraced this past week is, for whatever reason, if you look at certain locations in this game, there are cranes that are holding big platforms full of crates or nets full of crates and different storage or whatnot. Now, I've always known that I could shoot them down, but I never really bought into it or messed around with it too much. And my assumption was it would probably alert the guards. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you did not already know that it does not alert the guards and they are great at taking out multiple enemies at once. So if you got, and usually the game honestly sets it up for you to, it's almost begging you in some cases to do that. Uh, when there's three guards that are standing underneath one, how, how can you not? How was I not always utilizing that option? Shooting down these nets full of 
crates and supplies to take out these guards. Well, the reason why is because, like I said, I assumed that it was going to alert people. And don't get me wrong. If there's nearby guards, they'll come over and they'll investigate. But it won't completely throw off everything and have the entire area alerted. And they're all running around and they're coming up and trying to attack you. As long as they don't see you, you're still good to go. So I absolutely love using that right now. And that's a big strategy or part of my strategy now going forward. So just an FYI, keep an eye out for brush with the death skill, as well as don't neglect those containers and nets that are held in the air by the cranes. Now let's go check out my captain's decree. Gamers, with all this talk this past week about portable gaming and handhelds and uh, Switch OLED and Steam Deck and even xCloud being available now to everyone that has a Game Pass Ultimate subscription, that is. It got me thinking, and I had seen it online. This question was raised as well, and I wanted to talk about it in my decree here this week. Should Sony invest in making a new portable console to compete with Switch, xCloud, and now Steam Deck? So I'll just come out and say, personally, I think that they should. I think it will be a good thing. I feel like on both the PSP and the PS Vita, there were some great gaming experiences that honestly probably would have never been made on a home console. And some that I've experienced in certain franchises, like say on the PSP, I got a, a finally, after all the years of waiting for a Siphon Filter sequel, I finally got one, Dark Mirror, on the PSP. I never got that on PS2 or PS3 or 4 and 5 now so far. My point is, Developers sometimes will take chances on older franchises or remakes or new ideas on these portable systems to see if they work or if there's interest behind them. And that way we have those experiences available to us, whereas otherwise we wouldn't have. Now, if they were able to figure out how to price it competitively and have it be like the Vita, and what I mean is in the sense of playing PS4 games on the Vita on the go, or you can do it on your mobile phone as well but this time your playstation library is fully accessible via the cloud i feel that would be a game changer to me right now in order to play a playstation game on the go you pretty much have to be at a wi-fi hotspot you have to have your system in rest mode and have both systems connected and all this all this stuff like there's just so many steps and red tape to cut through just to play some games on the go on the playstation side of things so if they got rid of all that rigmarole and just allowed us, and I'm not saying to, you know, not be worried about the security and have those things in place. I'm just saying, make it a little bit easier and more accessible for us to get into it and have it accessible outside of just being close to our consoles. Like, hey, I'm upstairs on my phone instead of downstairs on the TV with my console. I feel that, you know, right now, xCloud, they offer that next-gen experience from your phone. But I would say the caveat to that, though, is they only allow streaming from your console, again, when you're close enough, or streaming via the cloud with specific titles. But again, the titles they will allow you to play on xCloud, they're only titles that are on Game Pass. So right now, you have that limited availability or option of games. And again, you have to have a Game Pass Ultimate subscription to even access xCloud. Now, the Steam Deck, it claims to be a portable PC with access to Steam. So, honestly, you know, it may cater more to the PC crowd side of things, but it also could lure some PS3 
an Xbox fans to that portable console that maybe would have bought a portable PlayStation uh, if they had some options like what Steam Deck is offering here. Now, I think it'd be awesome. Imagine if you could have bite-sized versions. Here, here's an option for Sony. If you could have bite-sized versions of their most popular franchises, just to cater to the portable aspects of the format, I think it would be awesome. So say a 10-hour game focused on Joel from The Last of Us. And it's a story about his first encounter with, and the first major adventure that he has with the Fireflies. That could be fleshed out, honestly, into a whole series of games. Or God of War. Say it's a game set in the events leading up to when he gets to the Norse realm that he, you know, the game on PS4 takes place in. And it ends with him burying or hiding the Blades of Chaos. There's just so many different ideas that I could come up with within sony's amazing repertoire of exclusives they could kind of have these different add-on experiences or games that would be exclusive to their portable console that i really feel would help fuel people's desire to purchase it and i feel like with the success of both the switch and xcloud and with pre-orders selling out of the steam deck i think that now more than ever is the time for sony to try again in the handheld space but you got to do it with the most important ammunition that they have to fight with which is their amazing list of series console exclusives. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox and PlayStation networks. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com as well as find me on social media on Instagram at Lost at Sea Gaming and on Twitter at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.